Good afternoon, folks. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing. Um, we're a local congregation. We meet just up Dumbarton Road there. If you come to the police station, go up the hill opposite the police station, and you will come, first of all, to Thornwood Primary School. And then next door at the crossroads, you'll come to Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing our building. We give you a warm welcome. We meet there on the Lord's Day, which is Sunday at 11 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. And we would extend a warm welcome to you all to come along that you might hear something more concerning uh, Christianity and the Christian faith. We also have a a midweek meeting, and we meet on Wednesday at 7.30 p.m., and again, we would extend a, a warm welcome to you all to come along that you might hear something more about the work and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I stress, we are a, a local congregation, and what we do here we do on many occasions. This is not a new thing for us. It just so happens in the month of October, we have not been out because of holidays, because of personal circumstances, or because the weather was unsuitable. But it is a, a normal event for us to come out, either here at Partick Station, or you'll find us on Buchanan Street, where we seek to preach the everlasting gospel. And you may well ask yourselves then, why do we come out with the gospel? Because you will realize that many Christian churches don't come out. They don't come out into the public square, and they don't come and seek to preach the gospel to you. Then why are we so different? Well, friends, we come out because we recognize that in the day that we live in, there is great ignorance regarding the Bible, regarding the Christian gospel, and regarding Christianity. There is a lot of ignorance in our communities. And we also recognize that many people do not go to the house of God like they once did. And therefore, they are ignorant of the Christian gospel. And therefore, it is incumbent upon us that we go out to where the people are and that we seek to bring the good news of the Christian gospel to you. And therefore, for a few moments this afternoon, I want to, by the help of God, to draw your attention to what Christianity is all about. I'm quite sure, and I don't say this to embarrass anyone, but I'm quite sure if I was to ask you, what is Christianity all about? I doubt if you could give me an authentic answer. Well, Christianity is all about a person. It's all about the Son of God, who became the Son of Man. It is about the th second person in the Trinity. And this person became just like us. He became a man. And his name is 
Jesus Christ. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the second person in the Trinity and in the fullness of time. <coughs> he became a man. He took upon Himself our form and our nature. He became just like us. Now that was condescension and humiliation for Him. Because as the Son of God, He has no beginning. And He is God. He is the one who has made heaven and earth, the sun, the moon, and the stars. All things were made by Him and for Him. And then maybe you might wonder, why did He become a man? Why did He leave the realms of glory and come to this world? Well, the answer is, He came to this world in order that He might save. He was on a, a mercy mission. The Apostle Paul says this to the young pastor at Ephesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. There the great Apostle Paul who was one who was instrumental in evangelizing the Gentile world in the first century, who himself at one time was not a Christian. Indeed, he was one who would persecute Christians, and he sought to destroy Christianity. But he had a glorious and a wonderful experience. He was on the road to Damascus, and there he was going to round up Christians and bring them back to Jerusalem in order to put them in prison and to punish them. But what happened to him when he was on the road to Damascus? He had an encounter with the Lord Jesus Christ. And his life was wonderfully and gloriously changed. He became a preacher and formerly he was a persecutor and a hater and a destroyer of the Christian church. But what happened? He met the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ gave him a commission to go forth and to preach the gospel. And this was a commission that he put his whole heart and mind and soul into so that he was instrumental in forming many, many churches throughout the Gentile world of the first century. And he was said this to the young pastor at Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. He said to Timothy, who was inclined to be somewhat timid, he said, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And here, right away, we are told the, the purpose and the aim and the goal of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why he came into this world, to save sinners. Now, who are the sinners? The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who came into this world to save sinners. But who are sinners? We might not like this. 
but this is what the Bible teaches us. The Bible tells us, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's what the Apostle Paul said to the Romans as he was writing a letter to introduce himself to them before he would go and visit them. He said, For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that would tell us then, friends, that regardless of our position, regardless of our education or our upbringing or our social standing or our wealth or lack of it or our color of our skin or our sex, it doesn't matter. The Bible says, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Therefore, the Bible's verdict upon you and I is that we are sinners. What does that mean? Well, it simply means that we have broken the law of God. What is sin? Our catechism tells us what sin is. Sin is any want of or conformity unto the law of God. And what that means is, if we do not keep God's law and fulfill it, or if we break it, therefore we are sinners in the sight of God. Now God has given us a law, and that law that he has given to you is written in your heart. It's part of being a human being. It's part of our human nature. We might say in modern terms, it's part of our DNA. The law of God is inscribed in our heart. But because of sin, that law is somewhat defaced. And it's not as clear as it should be. And therefore God has given us the law in written form. He has given it to us in the Ten Commandments. He gave it first to Moses on Mount Sinai. And there is God's pattern for us to live our lives. And the first commandment is the most important commandment. What is that? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's the first commandment. Vitally important commandment. And there the Lord our God is telling us that we are to have no other gods before him. He is the one true and the living God. There is no other gods. But very often we erect and create our own gods. What does that mean? Well, if we value anything more than the living God, then that is our idol. If our hearts are set upon the things of this world, upon our pleasures, upon our property, or upon our wealth, or upon our spouse, or our children, or our grandchildren. If we think more about these things than we do about the living God who made us and formed us, then that is idolatry. And the likelihood is, friends, that all of us have our idols. We have all of us got things that occupy our mind, occupy our time, occupy our affections. We think upon them. And these are our idols. We're not looking for idols 
like stones and carved images where people bow down to. Yes, we know they do that today in some places, but that will not be the experience of most of us who are listening this afternoon. Most of us will not have a carved image in our home that we bow down to. But we may well have idols that we bow down to, idols in our heart, idols in our home. We might idolize a person. It might be our wife or our husband. It might be our children. We might love them more than anything else in this world. It may be grandchildren. It may be our work. It may be our possessions. It may be our property. It may be our money. Or indeed, we may simply be living and looking forward to the weekend, to the Friday night and to the Saturday night, in order that we might enjoy ourselves. Well, friends, these are our modern-day idols. And what does the Bible say? What does God say to us in His Word? What is the first commandment? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now I ask you then, do you fall into that category? Are you one who has other gods? Maybe the God that you worship is yourself. This is highly probable. You think more of yourself than you do of anyone else. That is idolatry. And if that be the case, then you've broken the first commandment. And therefore, the Bible would call you a sinner. But take heart, friends. Take heart. Because here in the Christian gospel, we have a remedy. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Oh, that we might recognize that we are sinners in the sight of God. We might think that we live a, an upright and a moral life. And really, as far as the, the world is concerned, that may well be true. We don't have to worry about a policeman coming to the door and charging us with a crime. We don't have to face a, a human court and a human judge and stand before a human jury. No, more than likely we are morally upright individuals. But friends, you're not going to be judged by a man or by the, a court of men. One day, the Bible tells us, we are going to stand before Almighty God in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 20, you can read it there for yourself, it tells us that one day the Lord Jesus Christ will return and he will sit upon a great white throne. And there all of humanity, all that ever lived, all that ever walked upon this earth shall stand before King Jesus and they will give account. What an awesome and dreadful day that will be. Every one of us will be called forward and we will stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and we will give account. I tell you, friends, on that day, you will want a Savior. You will want someone who can forgive your sins. You will want someone who will present you for eternity. That person is the one that we proclaim to you this afternoon. 
in the gospel, in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the only one that can save you, and you must turn to Him. This is why we come out in order to bring to your attention the authentic Christian gospel. And friends, you must take your gospel from the Bible. What I'm saying to you this afternoon, it can be substantiated. I am not presenting my own opinion. I am bringing what we find in the Word of God. Jesus is the one who has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And we need to realize that as far as the Bible is concerned, and as far as God's Word is concerned, we are lost by nature. Why are we lost? We are lost because we are sinners. And because God is a holy God, who cannot in any sense tolerate or look upon sin, we are estranged and separated from Him by nature. And we cannot deal with this problem ourselves. It's too great a problem. Mankind has tried to deal with this problem over the centuries. And the very fact that there are so many religions around today would tell us that mankind is still trying to address this great problem, that man is estranged from God and he seeks to address the problem, but he cannot. There's only one way to be right with God. There's only one way to be found in heaven at the end. There's only one way to have our sins forgiven. There's only one way to be reconciled to God. What is that way, friends? Well, Jesus tells us what that way is. He says in John chapter 14, verse 6, he's speaking to his disciples. What's he say to them? I am the way and the truth and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. That's a very dogmatic statement that's not very popular today in the religious world and in this pluralistic world that we live in, it does not go down well. But it's true. It's absolutely true. The Lord Jesus Christ is telling His disciples, I am the way and the truth and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And we could expand upon that verse somewhat. And when He says, No one comes to the Father... What he means is, no one will go to heaven. No one, not one person, none whatsoever. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what religion you follow. It doesn't matter what leader you're following. It doesn't matter about your good works and your works of charity and whatever. I am the way and the truth and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And what Jesus is declaring there is that he is the only Savior. And therefore, friends, surely it's not surprising that having this message, we come out and we want to impart this message and tell you this message, that you too might find faith, hope, love, grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I am the way. You know, many people will tell you the way to heaven 
Many people will tell you the way to get right with God, but Jesus Christ is the only one who has secured that. How did he manage that? Well, he dealt with our greatest problem. What is our greatest problem? Today we face many problems, do we not? We've just come out of a pandemic. Maybe we haven't actually come out of it, but we don't hear so much about it. But we have other problems. Do we not have an energy crisis coming up? Who knows whether the power will go off during the winter time when we use much more energy? Isn't our fuel for our cars, isn't it going up in price? Isn't the cost of living going up in price? Are we not facing economic hardship? Is, is that not true? Uh, have we not got a war in, in the Ukraine? And where do we know it will end? We don't know. We don't know the circumstances. We don't know these things. And we are facing many trials, many difficulties, and maybe many more that are not, we're not aware of at this moment. But friends, none of these things are in comparison with our greatest problem, a problem that faces every single one of us, regardless of our health, our wealth, or our status. What is that problem? Are you sure you don't just like the sound of your own voice? No, sir. He does, doesn't he? he no, sir. Uh, you do. No, sir. That's a bit unkind, I think, to say that. It's no, I'm, not sh I'm not shouting, sir. I'm speaking. No, no. No, no, I'm not shouting. I'm just simply speaking. And it's a bit unkind to say that when I'm trying to impart to you the good news of the Christian gospel, of the Lord Jesus Christ, of what He's done for mankind. Do you think I should keep this message to myself? Friends, by nature we're perishing. This is the reality. By nature we are perishing. By nature we're on that broad road that leads to destruction. And friends, I have the way to escape. I'm not the way to escape, but I can appoint you to someone who can save you. Who is that person? That person is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. We stand here this afternoon from Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing. We're a local congregation. We worship locally. We live locally. We're not fly-by-night characters. And we simply want to bring to you something concerning the authentic Christian gospel. Because today there is much ignorance. And therefore, for the few moments that we gather here, we want to try to dispel that ignorance and present the genuine claims of Christ to you. That's all. And this is vitally important that you hear these things. Because whether you like it or not, all of us are on a one-way journey. We're here today and we're gone tomorrow. And where will we go? Where will we go, friends? The atheist will tell us that when we die, it's all over. That's his great hope, is it not? He tries to live his life without any reference to God. He tries to delude himself that there is no God when he knows deep down there is the God of the Bible. Why does he know this? He knows this because God has revealed himself in creation. Look around, friends. 
Even as we stand here in this part of Partick, we see the handiwork of God. We see the handiwork of a Creator with infinite power and wisdom who could speak the Word and bring all these things into being. The work of creation is God's making all things of nothing by the Word of His power in the space of six days and all very good. Therefore, we are without excuse. We simply have to open up our eyes and we see this glorious creation and this glorious creation talks about and, and convinces us of a wonderful creator. But more than that, God has not only revealed himself to us externally, he has revealed himself to us internally so that we have a conscience. Where did our conscience come from? Some people will try to tell us it's all part of evolution. Nonsense. Absolute, utter, unscientific nonsense. God has given us a conscience. He has revealed unto us what is right and what is wrong. And whether we, we go from one end of the world to the other end of the world, there are certain things that we know that are right and that are wrong. We know it's wrong to steal. We know it's wrong to lie. We know it's wrong to commit adultery. We know it's wrong to kill. And that's the same whether we go to America or to Japan or from Scotland to South Africa. If we go to the most uncivilized and backward group of people, exactly the same thing is true. They know it's wrong to kill. They know it's wrong to lie. Why? Because they have a conscience like you and I have. And this is God revealing himself to us so that we are without excuse. And therefore, when we die, friends, what will happen? We will meet God. The very moment that we die, we will have an audience with God. That's a very sobering thought, a very sobering reality. But this is something we must consider. And I'll tell you, none of us wants to stand before God by nature or in a state of nature. We want, when we stand before God, to have our sins forgiven, to be reconciled to God. And that can only happen through believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ, because He is the one who has come, who has left heaven, and who has veiled His glory and come to this world in order that he might be able to suffer and to die and to pay the price for our sins and to make a substitution for us. He died in the room and in the place of sinners. Wonderful, glorious Savior. And this is the one that we seek to proclaim this afternoon to you. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief 
Here was the Apostle Paul. This is what he said. He didn't say he, he used to be the chief of sinners. He says he still is. I am the chief of sinners. And friends, this is the Savior we need. And this is why he came. And in order to save, he had, he had to deal with our greatest problem, our sin. And he did that on Calvary's tree. There he suffered in our room and in our place. Why did he die? He died because the sins of his people were imputed unto him. And this would remind us that the wages of sin is death, and the soul that sinneth, it must die. And that's why Jesus died. He died because he became our substitute. He didn't sin himself. He was absolutely sinless. But he paid the price of our sins. And that price that had to be paid was death. And that's why he died on the cross. We're going to take a short break to recharge our batteries. But may the Lord be pleased to bless his word to you this afternoon. We're glad to be here from Partick Free Church of Scotland, continuing a local congregation. We meet at 2 Thornwood Terrace. Go up Dumbarton Road. You'll come to the police station. And opposite the police station, go up the hill there. You First of all, you'll come to Thornwood Primary School. And at the crossroads, you'll meet our building. And we give you a warm welcome to come along on Sunday, the Lord's Day, at 11 a.m. Or again at 6 p.m. in the early evening. And we also have a midweek meeting on Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. And please come along any time that suits. We would make you most welcome. But we come out again this afternoon in order that we might introduce to you something of authentic biblical Christianity. And I know that many people who will be heeding this as they pass by, they'll be saying to themselves, well, you know, there's some truth in what that preacher is saying. I recognize that he is trying to tell us something that we need to hear. It's true, it's maybe not very pleasant to hear, but I recognize there is some truth, and I must give it some consideration. And many will be saying, well, maybe when I get a bit older, then I'll consider the claims of the Lord Jesus with greater depth, and I'll consider it a bit more enthusiastically when I get a wee bit older. That's a very dangerous position to take, friends. Why? Because life is so uncertain. Life can change. We don't know what one day will bring forth. The book of Proverbs tells us many wise things. It was written by King Solomon, who, next to Jesus, was the wisest man that ever lived. And this King Solomon had everything that this world could give him, he had money, he had wisdom, he had sound judgment, he had women and wine and song. He lacked nothing that this world could give him. 
But he said in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 1, and please read it for yourselves using your own Bibles at home, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You don't know how this day will end. You certainly don't know about tomorrow or any other tomorrows. And that's why we come out, or at least one reason why we come out. We come out to impress upon you that today is the day of salvation. In other words, today is the time to get right with God. The devil will always say to you, tomorrow, tomorrow. But the Bible says to you, and the Bible is God's Word, and what it says to you is today. We're not to wait until tomorrow, but today, for today is the day of salvation. And now is the time to get right with God when the gospel, in some sense, has been proclaimed unto you. Paul tells the, the Christians at Corinth, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. And many people are putting off the great issue regarding eternity. And this is what we're talking about, friends. We're talking about eternity. Where are you going to spend eternity? It's a very serious question because here we are in this world. How long have we got? Well, we don't know. The Bible says our lifespan is around 70 years. Well, it may well be less. It may well be more. But we can be sure that we're all on a one-way journey and the only way out of this world is by death, and that time will come, and then when we die, we pass into eternity, and where will you spend eternity? Where will you go when you die? The atheist, as we said earlier, he takes comfort in his delusion. He would try to tell us there is no God and there's no life after death, when of course we know that is not true. How do we know that's not true? We know it's not true because the Lord Jesus Christ, our great Savior, He suffered and died on the cross. He was taken down. He was put into a borrowed tomb. He stayed there on the Friday night and on the Saturday night. But what happened on the first day of the week that we call the Lord's Day? He arose. The grave could not keep Him, not even a sealed grave. Not even a sealed tomb could keep the Lord Jesus. He arose. And the very fact that He arose, friends, guarantees that you will arise. And this is the very heart and the very essence of the Christian gospel. It is the truth of the resurrection, guaranteeing your resurrection and my resurrection, and guaranteeing that there's more to life than just here. There is eternity and where will you spend eternity? That's a real question that you cannot avoid. Many try to. They bury their heads in the sand. They don't face up to realities. But friends, that day will come. You will be gathered to your fathers. Your last breath will be drawn. Your eyes will shut. And you will end up in eternity. Where will you go? 
Well, we can know where we can go. The Bible tells us there are only two places. There's a place called heaven. The Lord Jesus said to his disciples, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am, there ye may be. And he's talking about heaven. He's talking about that place that has been prepared for his people. And at the moment, he is preparing the people for that prepared place. And that place is called heaven. And that place is a place of bliss, of felicity and happiness. And that place is the place that the Lord Jesus Christ will take his people to. But there's another place, friends. And you might go to a a so-called Christian church and you'll never hear about this other place. But the Bible talks about another place. What is that other place? That other place is called hell. And that place is a place that has been prepared for the devil and for his angels. And the reality is, friends, that we will either go to one of these two places. We'll either be in heaven or we'll be in hell for all eternity. Can you not see the urgency then? Can you not see the seriousness of what we seek to do here? We are reminding you of what we find in the Word of God. And friends, pick up your own Bibles at home, read them, and you'll find that the things that I'm saying to you are true. I'm not making them up. The Lord Jesus Christ, the great Savior of God's people, is the one who speaks more of hell than he does of heaven. And why does he speak about hell? He speaks about hell in order that we might avoid it, in order that we might take the warning, in order that we might seek the Savior, in order that we might have our sins forgiven and that we might be reconciled to God. That's why he, he spoke about it so often, that we would not be ignorant, that we would not be like many in this world who are laughing themselves away into eternity, into a lost eternity, as they seek to ignore and disdain and reject the Word of God. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. And therefore, friends, you are urged to make your calling and election sure. You are urged to seek the Savior while he may be found. You are urged to make your peace with God now. In the prophet Isaiah chapter 55 in the Old Testament, verses 6 and 7, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord and he will have mercy upon him unto our God for he will abundantly pardon. There we have a gospel invitation in the Old Testament. Seek ye the Lord 
while he may be found. That would imply there may well be occasions when he may not be found. You are to seek him now. You are to seek him while it's still the day of grace. You are to seek him while you still have energy, while you still have a good mind. You are to seek him now. And that's an exhortation that's particularly relevant to young people. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. That's what you're to do, friends. Young people are to seek the Lord now. They're to be found in Christ now. They are to be ones who will follow Him now. Give their lives to Christ now. Give the very cream of their lives to Christ now. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. But you may well be saying to me, well, preacher, I like what you're saying. I like the fact about going to heaven. I like the fact about having my sins forgiven. But surely, surely it's too late for me. Or maybe you're saying, it's not only too late, but I'm too wicked. I've committed so many terrible, horrible, heinous sins that it's impossible for me to be forgiven. God would never forgive me. That's not the case, friends. With God there is pardon. With God there is forgiveness. You just have to look at what happened at the cross. What happened at the cross? There the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified. And what? There were two thieves crucified with Him. One on one side and one on the other side. And these thieves were more than thieves. They were more than likely murderers because you would never be crucified simply for being a thief. The likelihood is that they took part in an insurrection and they committed murder. And there they were being crucified and both of them were crying out against the Lord Jesus Christ. They were insulting Him. But suddenly things changed and one of the thieves turned to the Lord Jesus and said to Him, Lord, remember me when Thou comest into Thy kingdom. In other words, he was asking for mercy. Here was this wicked, wicked individual who had lived a life of sin right up until the end. And he was being justly punished for his crimes by being crucified. And yet he turns to the Lord Jesus Christ and he says, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. What do you think Jesus said to him? Did Jesus say, Don't trouble me now. Can't you see that I'm dying? Can't you see that I'm suffering? Can't you see that I'm in pain and agony? Why bother me now? No, what did he say? What did he say? Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. That's what he said. That's what Jesus said to this criminal, to this one who recognized that he was receiving the just rewards for his deeds. Yet the Lord Jesus forgave him and give him such an assurance of his salvation. For he said, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. 
And therefore, we have every encouragement to go to the Lord Jesus Christ, come to Him with our sins, repent and believe the gospel. That's what the gospel message would tell us. And the Lord Jesus Christ is one who will receive sinners. The Old Testament prophet Micah says in chapter 7, verse 18, and I wish you would read this for yourselves in your own Bibles at home, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passes by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delighteth in mercy. He delighteth in mercy. That is the God of the Bible. That is the one true and the living God. For all other other gods are but false gods. But the God of the Bible, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, He is the one who delights in mercy. But He can only show mercy in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who has suffered and died in our room and place. He is the one who has made the salvation of His people certain. And therefore, that is why you are to trust upon Him. You know, many people are trusting upon their good works or they're trusting upon their attendance at Mass or church or whatever. Their hope is in something else. But friends, you are to have your hope upon the Lord Jesus Christ and upon Him alone. Seek ye the Lord while He may be found. Call ye upon Him while He is near. Why? Because life is so short, so uncertain, and it can be so brief. And that's why the psalmist tells us, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Number our days, you know. Many often, very often we number our days in our lifespan by years, but it should be by days, by days. Number our days. They are, our lives are but short in comparison to eternity. They are extremely short. And therefore, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. And I say this because some people here, as they're listening, will be saying, well, yes, what the preacher is trying to say is true. I must consider where I'm going to spend eternity, but I'll do it another day at a more convenient time. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. And James, in James chapter 4, what does he say about our lives? James chapter 4, verse 14, Whereas you know not what you shall, shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. That's what your life is like. That's what my life is like. It is like but a little vapor. Yes, sir, what can I, I do for you? Questions about your religion. Yes, if you can answer, yeah, ask me questions, yes. What's your, uh, what's your take on homosexuality? Well, you'll find the answer in the Bible. What do you think, though? You'll find the Bible. You're, you're an articulate young man. You can read the Bible. So why don't you read the Bible? You'll find... Hey, I'm curious what you think of No, you're not. 
You're not curious. You're not curious. You want to try and trap me in my words. Well, I'm not going to... No, no, no. Well, what's your question, sir? My question is, do you think homosexuality is a sin? Of course it's a sin. Why do you think it's a sin? Because it's a breach of the seventh commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And there, in marriage, you are to find sexual fulfillment, not outside of marriage. You know what else the Bible says? That you can't even mix fucking fabrics, because you're wearing different fabrics, aren't you? Are you? How do you know that, sir? Because I've read the fucking Bible. Oh, that's good for you. Well, if you read the Bible, then why are you asking me the question about homosexuality? If you read the Bible, you'd know what the Bible says about homosexuality. Well, different people have different interpretations, so I was just curious, mate. I don't think you're curious at all. I think you're tr trying to pick a fight. I'm not trying to pick a fight, mate. I'm just curious. I see you're out here preaching. I yes, I'm out here preaching, preaching the good news, telling sinners to repent, whether they be adulterers, fornicators, those who do other sins. We tell them all to repent. You think I... I see, I'm, I, I engage in homosexuality. Do you think I'm going to hell? What do you think, sir? I'm not religious. That's why I'm asking you. Well... Jesus said... I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. If you're not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, then you'll perish. Yes, that's true, sir. That's understandable, mate. Um, so what's your goal by, you know, preaching out here? I'm not trying to pick a fight, mate. But my goal is quite simply to preach the gospel because many people don't know the gospel. And hopefully that the Lord will bless his word and people will be saved. Um, this is a genuine question. Do you, have you seen yourself like influence any people? Like, have you had any results from doing this? Well, what do you mean by results? Have you? Well, you said that you were, you were trying to preach the yeah. gospel, and like, yeah. have you seen yourself influencing anyone? Uh, yes, but if if you're trying to say to me, have we seen an increase in numbers in our church? No, I can't say that. No, no, I can't. How long have you been doing this? Um, we've been doing it now for about four or five years, on and off. Yeah. What, uh, what church are you in? Partick Free Church of Scotland Continuum. We meet at Two Thornwood Terrace, just up Dumbarton Road there, opposite the police station. You'll find us. And we welcome you, honestly. Every day? Well, not every day, no. We meet on the Lord's Day Sunday, 11 and 6, or Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. Just the, that church up there? But it's... Do you know where the police station is? Yeah, I mean. Well, it's up that hill there. I, I might come along, mate. I'm being serious. Yeah. What, well, uh, what, um... What, what do you do at the church? I'm not, I'm not used to religion, mate. I'm, you know. Right. Well, what we do, we would open with sing a psalm. We'd have a prayer. We would have another. I've already got one now. Another psalm. I'll take it. I'll take it. Read the scriptures and expound it. Anyway, friends. Mate, good on you. You know, there's a, the Bible's bang up to date, and it speaks to the 21st century man or woman. And we have so many religions in this world today. And the book of Proverbs would tell us in chapter 16, verse 25, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And this is the way that it is for those who follow false religion. 
And in reality, there's only one true religion, and that's Christianity. And everything else. Yeah, I'm going to go, but I'll, I actually will. Yeah. When do you meet? Wednesdays and Sundays? Wednesdays, 7.30, and Sunday, 11 and 6. 11 to 6? No, no, 11, and then we'll have a break, and then 6 o'clock. All right, Two services. I'll be there. Okay. Nice to see you, sir. Thank you. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man. And maybe as you're listening here, you're saying, well, I think I'll just continue my own way. Maybe it's uh, your own philosophy, your own religion, or whatever. The Bible says, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. There's only one way to be right with God. There's only one way to get to heaven. There's only one way to have your sins forgiven. I can't forgive your sins. No other minister of religion can forgive your sins. No priest, no cardinal, no pope, no Muhammad, no Confucius, no Buddha. No one can forgive your sins but Jesus Christ alone. And if your sins are not forgiven, you'll never be in heaven. And that's why it's so important that you embrace what the Lord Jesus Christ says. I am the way and the truth and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. And we want to declare this message to you this afternoon that the Lord Jesus Christ has come to seek and to save that which was lost. And we need to realize that by nature we are lost. What does it mean to be lost? Well, it means we are estranged. We are separated from God. But the Lord Jesus Christ has come in order to bridge that gap. And in order to bridge that gap, what did He do? He had to deal with our sin. How could He possibly deal with our sin? Well, friends, He did it in two ways. First of all, he lived a perfect life. He lived an absolutely perfect life. Oh, yes, he did, sir. He lived a perfect life. And even his enemies had to testify the fact that he lived a perfect life. And more than that, he died. He died as our sin bearer. He took upon himself our sin God punished him in place of mankind. You see, he lived a perfect life, and therefore he was able to offer up a perfect sacrifice. And that perfect sacrifice satisfied the just demands of God's most holy and inflexible law. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ lived a perfect life like none of us have ever done. And He paid the price for our sin. And by this, we're able to offer unto you the salvation that Christ has secured by His life and by His death. And what's more, friends, the very fact that He rose again would tell me and you that His work was accepted. He made some bold claims during his lifetime. And as we said, he went to the cross and suffered and died. But he didn't stay in the tomb. No, on the third day he rose. And that would demonstrate to us 
that his work was found acceptable. And therefore we're able to come out in the street in Partick on the 4th of November 2021 and we're able to tell men and women, boys and girls, old and young, educated and uneducated, that by nature we're lost and perishing, but there is a Savior, a Savior who will save us to the uttermost. That's what the Bible says. You'll find it in Hebrews chapter 9. For he is able to save to the uttermost for he ever liveth to make intercession. That's the Savior. And this is the right way. This is the way that God himself has provided. You see, what we're proclaiming to you is what God has done. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. And this is the way that is right. This is God's way. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? That's what Paul tells the the Hebrew Christians. How shall we escape? Is there another way? Has God provided another way of salvation? And of course the answer is no. There's no other way. And that's why the disciples went forth and preached. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And you must be saved Otherwise, friends, you will perish. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing. We're going to take a short break to recharge our batteries. But may the Lord be pleased to bless his word to you uh, this afternoon. Good afternoon. We're here from Partick Free Church of Scotland continuing. We invite you along to our Services. We meet at 2 Thornwood Terrace, opposite the police station on Dumbarton Road. Go up the hill, and you'll come to Thornwood Primary School first. And we're next door at the crossroads. We give you a warm welcome to come along on the Lord's Day Sunday at 11 a.m. or 6 p.m., And we also have a Wednesday night meeting in the midweek at 7.30. And we would extend a a warm and sincere welcome to you to come along that you might hear something more concerning the Lord Jesus Christ and Christianity. We come out because we are commissioned. It's part of the great commission that Christ has given to the early church, and they fulfilled it as best as they could. But the commission has fallen upon the 21st century church to go out and to make known the message of Christ. And what is Christianity all about? Well, Christianity is all about the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God who became the Son of Man. And he came to this world with a purpose, with a mission. What is that purpose? What is that mission? 
Well, the mission is in order to save men and women and boys and girls. He has come. And in order to do that, He had to become like us. He had to live a perfect life. And then He had to offer up a perfect sacrifice. Because there could be no salvation, there could be no reconciliation to God unless the great problem of our sin was dealt with. And this is where we find the offense of the cross. The Bible would tell us, not to flatter us, but to inform us. But by nature, we are sinners. And we are offensive to God. What does the Bible say? Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For there is no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every one of us. It doesn't matter how well we might try to live our lives in this world. In the sight of God, we are sinners. And that creates a great problem because we cannot deal with our sin ourselves. We don't have the desire. We don't have the ability or the will. But God would not have us perish. And God is the one who moved in order to rectify our situation. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. And in order to be saved, Christ had to do something. He had to perfectly fulfill God's law. He had to live a perfect life, which He did. And He had to pay the penalty for that law that was broken by mankind. And that's what He did when He offered up Himself as that once-for-all perfect sacrifice. And that sacrifice was accepted. How do we know that? Well, we know that because on the first day of the week, the Lord Jesus Christ arose victorious over death, over the grave. And through the gospel, what are we told? But Jesus Christ has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. But in order to benefit from that salvation and to receive the gift of eternal life, what must we do? Well, the gospel terms are quite clear. We are to repent and we are to believe the gospel. What does repentance mean? Repentance means we are to turn from our sins. It's as clear as that. It's not enough to confess our sins. It's not enough to acknowledge them. It's not enough to acknowledge that we're a sinner. More than that is required. We are to turn our backs upon our sin. We are to forsake our sins. That's what repentance means. It means to turn over a new life. 
It's to turn in a different direction. At the moment, friends, we live a life that pleases ourselves and we think nothing about the Lord Jesus Christ. But when we repent, we turn from that mindset and we follow the Lord Jesus and we turn our backs upon our sin. So therefore, the the person who previously was a fornicator or an adulterer, he is to stop being unclean. Or the person who was a liar or a cheat or whatever, he's to turn from his sins and he's to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And he is to believe upon Jesus. What does it mean to truly believe upon Jesus? You see, many people will believe upon Jesus. You know, in one sense, the greatest believer in Jesus is the devil himself. He believes in God. He believes in Jesus. He knows about the Son of God, but he cannot and will not be saved. And therefore, it requires more than simply an intellectual belief. I believe the facts of history. I believe about Julius Caesar and such like, but that doesn't make me a Roman. And therefore, to simply believe some historical facts about the Lord Jesus Christ is not enough. What belief means is that you are to trust upon Him, that you are to look upon Him in order to save you, that you are to rely upon another, upon this one who suffered and died in the room and place of sinners. You must look to Him to save you, and you must recognize that if He does not save, then you'll never be saved. And it's you cast yourself upon Him and upon His mercy. That's what it means to believe upon the Lord Jesus. It means to trust Him, or to receive Him, or to follow Him. Now let me ask you then, do you know anything of this? Do you know anything of trusting upon another? Do you know anything of taking your eyes off yourself and upon your own self-righteousness and casting your lot in with Christ? That's what it means to be saved. That's what it means to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why it says in the Bible, in Isaiah chapter 45 and verse 22, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. Now the prophet is not talking about himself, and neither, of course, is the preacher talking about himself. When it says, Look unto me, and be ye saved, we are to look to the Savior. And who is the Savior? The Savior is the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. Why? Because he shall save his people from their sins. This is the name that Jesus would have us call him a Savior. He could have come as a judge. He could have come as a conqueror. He could have come as a destroyer. Instead, he came as a Savior. And you are to look unto him. Look unto me and be ye saved, 
all the ends of the earth. There, it tells us surely that all mankind need the Savior. Some people think, well, it's only the uncivilized that need the Savior. Modern people in civilized cities, they don't need the Savior. Every one of us needs the Savior. Look unto me, and be ye saved. All the ends of the earth, it says. Every one of us. It doesn't matter the color of our skin. It doesn't matter our education or our upbringing. We are to look unto the Savior, for I am God. And this is what Jesus Christ is. He is God in the flesh. Here is where some people stumble. They will say, oh yes, I believe in Jesus. But do they believe he is God in the flesh? No, they will not believe that. But he is God in the flesh. He is both God and man. That's the Savior that we need. And that's the Savior that has been provided for us. For I am God and there is none else. There is no other Savior. There is no other way. There is no other way to be found in heaven. It's only by believing upon the Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul and Silas were in prison for preaching the gospel, the prison governor was given an instruction to put these prisoners in the very safest place in the prison. And God sent an earthquake. And Paul and Silas, their handcuffs were opened. And they were free. And the jailer thought, well, they've escaped. And he was about to kill himself. And Paul says to him, do thyself no harm. We are still here. And the jailer came in then, recognizing that something was unusual about these men. He says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? What did Paul tell him? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, thou and thy household. And this is what we would say to you this afternoon, that you are to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. But as we're here this afternoon, you may be saying to yourself, well, I don't need to be saved. Why do I need to be saved? Surely that's for people who are real criminals, not for someone like myself. Surely I'll be all right. Surely God will accept me for I'm not really a bad person. I'm not a bad person like her down the street or like him on the, in the top flat or whatever. I know people who are far worse than me and surely God will be merciful unto me. Well, God's verdict upon our lives is clear. There is none righteous. No, not one. Not one of us is righteous in the sight of God. We've all sinned and come short of His glory. You see, God demands absolute 
perfection. Only the perfect will get to heaven. I hope you're thinking about that. And I hope you're saying to yourself, well, preacher, you're far from perfect. How true that is. How true that is. None of us are perfect. But you know that if you believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ, God regards you as perfect. God looks upon you as perfect. You are accepted in Him. This is the essence. This is the beauty. This is the the goal and the cream of the gospel. We're not preaching ourselves. We're not preaching religion. We're not preaching our own congregation or our own denomination. We are preaching the Lord Jesus Christ who was perfect and who offered up a perfect sacrifice. And this is what God accepts. God will accept a substitute. And that substitute is a perfect substitute. And that perfect substitute is His only begotten Son, the Savior that He Himself has provided for us. Isn't it remarkable? We are the ones who have offended God by our sins. We are the ones who have offended Him. Yet, He is the one who has provided the remedy. He is the one who has provided, we might say, the life raft. In His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is none else. There is no other way to be reconciled to God, friends. No other way. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. What we're talking here about is eternal realities. And sadly, so many people today do not give eternity a second thought. But we're all rushing headlong into eternity. That's where we're going, friends, whether we like it or not. We cannot avoid it. That's where we're going. Where will you spend eternity? Will it be in heaven with Christ, the angels, and uh, the people of God? Or will it be that place of torment called hell that has been prepared for the devil and his angels? It's serious. And that's why we come out to tell you there's a way of escape. There's a way to be reconciled to God. God is merciful in Christ. He has provided a way whereby we can be saved. He that believeth in the Son hath everlasting life. Whoever truly believes upon the Lord Jesus, that moment that he believes, has eternal life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. If you don't believe in Christ, you'll never have eternal life. If you don't believe in Christ, you'll never have your sins forgiven. If you don't believe in Christ, you'll never be in heaven. Therefore, you must believe upon Him. And that's why we seek to come out that we might introduce the person and the work of the Lord Jesus, who being in the form of God, 
thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and been found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. All of this he undertook in order that he would provide a salvation. What does salvation mean? Salvation means deliverance. It means freedom. What's the freedom that we are to be delivered from? It's sin. Sin is our great problem, and the Lord Jesus Christ has dealt with it on Calvary's tree. There, friends, he underwent a death that no Roman would suffer. Only the vilest of criminals would be treated like this, and that's the way that Christ suffered and died. But he's no longer suffering. He's no longer dead. He's no longer in the grave. He has now ascended. Wherefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's a very sobering thought for us to conclude this afternoon. Christ has been exalted, and one day every knee shall bow before him. Every knee. Every knee here. Every knee in Glasgow. Every knee in Scotland. Every knee in the United Kingdom every knee of every individual that's ever lived will bow before King Jesus. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. What are we doing today in our own feeble efforts? What are we doing? Are we not simply saying that Jesus is Lord? And the day will come when you will see it you might see it you might not see it now but one day you will amen god bless you sir god bless sir one day you will today we see it by grace and what a pleasure what a privilege it is to be able to stand in the public square and mention the precious name of the lord jesus to perishing sinners and to tell them there's a way of escape. There's a way of reconciliation. And today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted hour. Come, believe upon him, receive him. You don't need a minister. You don't need a priest. You need a savior. How can I find the savior? Call upon him. Call upon him. Cry out to him. Be like the publican in the book of Luke, who went into the temple to pray, God be merciful to me, a sinner. God be merciful to me, a sinner. That's a prayer. That's a real prayer. That's what God loves to hear. And will God be merciful? Of course. 
and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. May the Lord bless his word to you then this afternoon.